Hello, and welcome to an emergency pod edition of Half Court and Midrange. Uh, by popular request, I'm Court. Ray. Requested to do this emergency pod due to the fortuitous break that the Pelicans got by trading for Boogie Cousins. We'll talk about that later, uh, but first we're going to give a little context to it uh, by talking about uh, the CBA and sort of the exclusive rights uh, that teams own on players and the language around that. And uh, Ray, you want to take it away? Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, so yeah, I've uh, in sharing. In talking about basketball with with friends, particularly friends who are not big basketball fans over the last couple of years, I've tried to explain the Sixers predicament, which is mainly, you know, not be so good in the short term and get young um, players that could become good in the long term on uh, cheaper contracts and or draft picks and or the rights to foreign players. Um, and in doing this, I've from time to time found that the the language that I used uh, kind of took people back a little bit. Um, Can you give an example or? Yeah. And so, um, and so right now the Sixers, they drafted a player last year named Firkin Korkmaz. Uh, he is Turkish and he is playing in Europe right now. Um, and they, they own, his exclusive rights uh, to play, you know, if he wants to play in the NBA at this point in time for the next couple of years, he would have to play for the Sixers um, unless they trade him. Right. Um, so he, ha- he doesn't have any agency in that. Right. And so if I were to say the Sixers have the rights to Firkin Korkmaz, um, uh, that might like rub people that like they don't, you know, uh, they obviously don't own the person, but they own his right to play in the NBA. Right. Um, they don't and own his like shorthand. recording rights or his patent rights or anything Indeed. like that. Any Indeed. sort of invention that Furkan Korkmaz comes up with still belongs to him. Am I correct in that? That is right. Um, I haven't studied the CBA as much as you have. That is right. I've, but uh, who knows what what uh what the NBA tries to take from them? But um, all that to say that when so the trade on trade deadline is coming up, we're going to talk about some players who have already been traded, some players who may be traded. Um, and, uh, we use some shorthand and we could use more language to make it more clear that we're particularly talking about their rights to play basketball in the NBA, but nonetheless, we're being, uh, in a shorthand way accurate about what the CBA, which court referred to or the collective bargaining agreement between the players union and the NBA, um, defines like how players come into the league, um, how they, you know, one team has the exclusive opportunity to employ them for a certain period of time, um, you know, when they have an opportunity to switch teams via free agency and what restrictions around that. Um, regardless, the long story short is that for most of an M- NBA player's career, they have very little say in where they play. Um, and so the context of, like, the trade deadline is important in light of, the f- in light of that fact, um, that players can't just decide to go to different teams. Um, a certain team will hold their rights, and then if another team wants them, times like this are really important because they, they can trade for them. 
Um, so, do you want to give a little context to the deadline itself? Maybe in the context of this collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. Is that part of it? Who came up with the deadline and why? That's a good question. So I think the trade deadline in general exists because as the season ends and we approach the playoffs, um, they decided it was good for like teams to have stability and for playoff rosters to you know be constructed. Um, and I think if you imagine a world with no trade de- trade deadline and you go into the playoffs. Um, you know, a team could get knocked out of the playoffs and they could trade a player to a team that's still in the playoffs and that could get awkward and weird. Um, so you wouldn't want anything like that. Um, Potentially. So have, yeah, as a fan, maybe you wouldn't want a, anything like that. Yeah, actually, I think it could be really interesting. I think a lot of people might want something like that. I think probably the teams and, and maybe the players value some stability at some point, and so they agree on this trade deadline. Um, I think in the new... There's some new wrinkles to the new collective bar- bargaining agreement that's going to start um, after this season um, that does impact how players and teams, well, particularly how teams, um, think about you know the players they have on the roster and how valuable they are and how much money they're going to cost on their next contract and so forth. Um, but um, And then I actually think that has to do with the boogie trade that we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, but yeah, that's that's anyhow. All I have to say is some of the language is uncomfortable, but it also accurately represents the state of the league. Um, and I tend to side on. I would like a collective bargaining agreement that was more kind of player friendly and gave them more agency in where they played for. Um, and if both like the the players union and the league wanted that, they could create something. Um, but at this point, players ultimately don't have a ton of agency in where they play for most of their career. And, that's kind of the basis of our discussion. And they've collectively agreed to this by like joining this union where they are represented by a uh, uh, union rep, right? Yes, that's right. Um, and um, this is where we potentially veer into very political waters. But um, I would say they do. Absolutely. The players union has agreed to this. Um and in many ways, you know, I think that the the players union has had like lots of good victories for the players. Um, they currently split about half of the revenue with the owners. Um, and I don't know what exactly is fair, but um, uh, it's, it seems like they did okay for themselves in this re- recent um, bargaining for the new agreement. Um, I think probably the, the hardest things for the things that I struggle with the most are it's basically exclusively veteran players that are bargaining with the owners on how everything's going to work. Um, and so the players that aren't in the league or that are young um, don't really have, the players that aren't in the league don't have any say um, in how the collective bargaining room is structured and how that's going to impact them. And the young players, you know, have much less influence and much less say. And so what happens is, you know, young players in the league um, they have fixed scale rookie contracts that are um, very cheap compared to what um, the veterans make. Uh, that actually makes them extremely valuable to teams. You get to draft a player. You basically, if you want to employ them for seven years um, as a team, you can. Um, you more or less have their exclusive rights for seven years. And for those first four years, you get to pay them 
like well below what they would make if they could just negotiate with all the teams. Um, and so that's where I think um, the union absolutely negotiates the collective bargaining agreement and agrees to it. But the younger players or the, the players that aren't already in the league, um, they, they definitely get the short end of the stick. Um, I think largely because they're not represented at the time by the people negotiating the agreement. Right. You, you do concede that like this sort of um, the negotiation here in a way increases the overall pie kind of, because you could imagine maybe sort of this total free agency. Anybody can switch at any time leads to like sort of a a less desirable product as far as like viewers and like sponsorships and cities and all that goes yeah i think a totally open kind of a totally open market where all contracts are unguaranteed and can be renegotiated all times um would leads to lots of challenges like that that might decrease the product i don't i don't know i think we'd have to like vision it and then think about the consequences and repercussions um i do think there could be a more um a much less regulated system um, where let's just say you have a hard salary cap like you do now and you have guaranteed contracts like you do now. Um, but instead of having a draft, you know, you don't, you don't put limits on the maximum salaries that people can make and you don't have a draft. You just say that everyone's draft eligible can negotiate with teams and they can spend their money on veterans or rookies, however they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and then the contracts they signed would be guaranteed. So you could still sign a guy for four years or five years or however many years. Um, but the players would get to choose where they go and the teams would get to have more say in how they allocate their money and so that it could be more fairly distributed. Gotcha. Uh, I'm not super familiar with European soccer and I yeah. don't know if you are either, but it seems like maybe that's a little bit more the way it is there. Ironically, considering uh, yes. maybe the political climate of the Europe, yes. versus, Europe versus the US. Yeah, I I wish I actually wish I I'm not really a soccer fan. I'm not a soccer fan. And I wish I was just so I could understand the mechanics of their um labor system better, um but I I don't really. It does seem like when a player does switch teams, the one team gives the other team a lot of money. Yeah, right? it's very confusing to me. There's the yeah. transfer fee, which I believe yeah. doesn't go to the player at all. It's just like a thing that the one club plays pays the other club and then i don't know how the contract works out between the players and the clubs yeah it does seem for sure it does seem like the teams retain their rights in some way but that the players have more agency in switching teams but i can't um in my mind well. also the younger players seem to get like there will be guys that like sort of have a lot of potential and they'll get like a lot of money because mm. they have that potential and then like maybe later they don't pan out as much yeah but then again brett also always talks about arsenal and how they always have all these cheap young players on contracts so maybe like yeah they're sort of the sixers of the yeah premier league their their shtick is that they kind of get rid of guys before they become expensive right yeah they like trade trade on when while they're on the upswing and whatnot makes sense yeah theoretically um speaking of making sense or not making sense the Sacramento Kings um, trade it. So there was a, so it was a big surprise Sunday night when the All-Star game was. A report started coming out that the Sacramento Kings, which have been one of the, the most dysfunctional franchises in the league for a little while, um, 
they were thinking about trading their best player and talent-wise, probably a top 10 or top 15 player in the league, uh, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. Um, and this this came this was a surprise to me and to a lot of people um, because they had publicly um, said both to the world at large and to Boogie himself and his agent uh, that day even that they weren't going to trade him. Um, and uh, so this came as a surprise and uh, he was ultimately traded to the Pelicans uh, for their first round draft pick this year, top three protected. Uh, Langston Galloway, Tyreek Evans, Buddy Heald. Um, uh, and so those those went to Sacramento and a, they also got a second round pick, which is actually the six or second round pick. Six or second round pick. Yeah. Um, and then the Kings sent back Boogie Cousins and Omir. Omir Omri. Ka- Omri, Omri Caspi. Omri Caspi. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Who is um, apparently not that bad. He's not. He can shoot. He can yeah. play a little D. He's actually going to help. I think he's going to help the Pelicans. And he's the guy who adjusted Boogie Cousins' headband in this one clip on the bench. Oh, yes. That was yeah, a nice it's one. his buddy. That was a nice one. Um, so, yeah, big trade. Uh, what do you what do you think about it from the Kansas perspective, Court? Well, first I'm going to say this is the raison d'etre, d'etre. I'm trying to learn some French here. This is the reason why we had the podcast. Oh, yes. The reason emergency for this pod. emergency pod existing was we had massive uh listener uh request to do an emergency pod about this given our uh locale and uh the uh, relative uh enormity of this trade also just kind of an unusual when i was surprised when i woke up that morning and saw the text messages <laughs> that y'all had left me because i went to bed a little bit before it was uh i saw those uh, because the Pelicans, I would have expected if this sort of weird like deal went down where the Kings sold low on DeMarcus Cousins, theoretically, uh, and sort of got bamboozled by another team, I would have figured it was a different team than the Pelicans doing it. Yes. Um, you know, one of the people, I don't know, Boston or whatever, maybe would have gotten him for some of their assets, but less of their assets than might have thought yeah. possible. Uh, so I was excited by it. Um, Boogie Cousins also is from Mobile, so that was super exciting. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's from Mobile. They they've actually asked him about it in some of the uh, interviews. Uh, they asked him about like going to Mardi Gras or whatever, and they're like, you know about Mardi Gras, and he's like, well, Mobile had the first Mardi Gras, so you know, take that. And he said the last time he was at Mardi Gras in New Orleans was when he was 18 years old. Nice. Uh, I would have. Yeah, it would have imagine been he had a good time. Yeah, yeah, it would have been interesting to see Boogie Cousins at eighteen at the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Yeah, would have been. Let's see, what is he like? Twenty six now or something? Twenty seven. Sounds right. Eight years ago, it's he was the John Wall draft. It's um, like two thousand nine ish Mardi Gras Boogie Cousins. Yeah, yeah, would have been would have been a nice one, I'm sure. Yeah, but he had a nice time. Uh, I'm actually not sure what their schedule is too. I think they might be away. I mean, they're always away during the time, like they, because weirdly, of yeah. Weirdly, I actually think they're playing Thursday night, which is a big parade. Muses. I think Houston's actually playing. Yeah, here. they are playing. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely gonna bike into work. Uh, yeah. That's gonna be annoying. Uh, <laughs> the important part here is the Pelicans play 
in an arena that is very close to where I work, and sometimes it's obnoxious with the parking when they have so games. We're here to talk about how the trade affects our commute. Yes, which it is will what we're totally to ruin my commute to work. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, this is not my full-time job podcasting <laughs> here with Ray. Uh, I actually do other things for employment. We've made very little money doing this. <laughs> hint, hint, listener. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> so I was excited by that. Uh, yeah. A little sad to see Buddy go, although, you know, he hasn't quite shown sort of promise yet in my mind. You know, he hasn't quite shown that he's a total bust or anything either, but... He yeah. certainly, Vivek, I feel like, has a, uh, the owner of the Kings, who seems like he's been pushing, he was the one sort of pushing this trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buddy Heald doesn't seem, I don't hold him in as high an estimation, skills-wise, as it seems Vivek, the owner of the Kings. Uh, yeah, I think, he, I think you're probably more right than Vivek is. Um, he, I, I heard someone reported if you take out the first month of the season that he's shooting forty uh, percent from three, uh, which is really which is good. Yeah. Um, but he basically doesn't do anything else uh, right. well, so he can't really he can't really be the lead ball handler. Um, not a good passer. He doesn't get to the basket. Um, doesn't rebound. So he doesn't bring a complementary skill. And if he could, I mean, if he can shoot threes and play solid defense, he has a role in the NBA. But he's Nothing to get excited about. And even though you can say he's a rookie and he can progress, but he's 23. Like, right. You know, there's there's guys that have been in the league for four years that are 23. Um, and there so are other rookies that are 23 and can hit around 40% from three and that's you know, exactly do an right. occasional other thing or two. That's a Malcolm Brogdon shout out. Um, so I think, yeah, the, 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 the um, actually before, I think, Maybe close. We could close out on what we think. How this impacts the Pelicans. Um, I I like. I'm you know, the initial response was the Pelicans' best player is already a big a seven footer Anthony Davis, um, and that they're they're kind of redundant two big seven footers um, that that do some similar things, um, but I actually think that they fit pretty, um, pretty pretty well together on offense because they can both shoot, they can both pass. Um, Anthony Davis's game has moved more to the perimeter anyway. Um, so if Boogie's spending a lot of time down low, um, Anthony Davis can work on the outside. And here's the thing, though: Boogie shoots a ton of threes right now. That's true. So I think when when they want to switch it up, I actually think people don't give this enough credit. I think you know they'll be like, "Oh, these guys are best." And this is what people say about the Sixers. Also, they have a couple of big guys, like you know. Joel Embiid, you want him down low on the block, and so you can't have another guy who also is good on the block. And it's like, yeah, but if you just if you switch who goes down low, like the other team isn't going to know before the play which guy's going down low, right. right? And so like, if Boogie is spending most of his time down low, the fact that he and then they put a defensive player on him that's like bigger and stronger, but not as quick, um, because they expect him to be down low. Then it's an advantage to sometimes put Anthony Davis down low, right? And then Boogie can float out to three and still space the floor. And so I think there's actually, I think there's a lot of um, still versatility and kind of different things that they can do with their lineup and game plan that should keep teams on their toes. Um, so I like and if Drew Holiday's healthy, he's basically they have three good players 
um, and then a bunch of other guys. Uh, and it's a matter of if those three good players can be efficient enough and work well enough together to make them very good. Right. It's a hard. It's a hard thing to do. It's hard to see them being very good given just sort of the grab bag, uh, to put it kindly, of other guys, for their guys. Uh, <laughs> here's another. Okay, so it's slightly off subject there, but Boogie Cousins. What do you think his vertical leap is? Oh yeah, the, I don't know it. I know five thirty eight put an article <laughs> up called "Demarcus Cousins Can't Jump." <laughs> So I'm gonna guess, and I think the only time they would have recorded is at like the combine. You don't You're get correct. those things yeah. measured. Um, Although it'd be cool. Do you think now they sort of like? Do you think these sports view sports view oh, things yeah. like they do they record do. every jump, like they, how high it was? They definitely do. Wow. Um, that's so although much with the data. vertical, yeah, I guess I guess they could see how far your feet get off the ground. Right. Um, obviously, you're not extending your arm fully. Yeah. Before you jump, but um because it could be totally i mean that's totally different in game versus in the combine it would be interesting to see yeah. sort of people's average jumping and stuff yeah i actually really like that idea um well, it, listeners out there we we're patenting this if it, it doesn't already exist <laughs> just we're going into jump measurement systems average game jump measurement systems let's call it court minus court minus in game vertical measurement uh yeah then we can have another thing that tracks how many times you get dunked on per game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, okay. So ostensibly at the combine, he like so at the, at the combine is before the draft where um you're doing drills and you're doing these physical exercises to see you know just what your measurements are, how fast you are, how quick you are, how how you can jump, things like that. Um. And then teams use it to figure out if they're gonna, you know, when they're gonna draft you or if they're gonna draft you. I would assume he was trying, so I would think this would be something where he wasn't just like, you know, messing around. around. Yeah. Uh, and a good vertical, like a really great vertical, is like forty-five inches. Right. right? I'm gonna guess his vertical was thirty inches. Uh, you busted too high. Price is right. Oh gosh. What is it? Twenty-seven point five, if okay. I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Which I think only two other players since him have been drafted with with lower verticals. Yeah. Uh, and he admits it too. He says like he gets blocked a lot. I think which was the point of this article was like talking about how much he gets blocked, which he also gets blocked a lot because he shoots a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's um, but he said they somebody asked him why he gets blocked so much, and he's like, it's because I can't jump. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He is very large too, so that makes up a little bit for the fact that he can't, you know, can't jump always, but there are also a lot of really big people that can't jump uh yes. in the NBA. So Yeah. I wonder what Todd McCullough's vertical was. Let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> We're gonna look it up for you, dear listener. <laughs> not good. Week. I would not be I would actually bet that it was below boogies, but we shall see. We shall see. Uh, so we talked about the kind of the impact for the Pelicans here. It seems, you know, pa- uh, cautiously optimistic here as uh, as far as things go. We also want to give a shout out to our buddy Del Demps. Uh, <laughs> he must have been yeah. drinking a lot of fancy espresso there. He's, yeah. You know, he's taking his lumps, you know. He's mostly taken lumps and I think often mostly deservedly so. I don't think he's made a lot of great decisions. But uh, in this case, it looks like he... He really got a great deal. So yeah, he kept at him. it. Kept uh, 
kept burning that midnight oil. I really, I really respect that he protected the pick top three in the event that they don't miss the playoffs and actually get into the top three of the lottery. Uh, I think that's really a big, it's a big little footnote to this trade. Yes, that was smart of them because they're, I think, well, we'll talk about their playoff chances later. Uh, the Pelicans. Or right. Why don't we do it? Yeah, right let's now. do it right now. Uh, so, you think that that they could put that pick will uh could potentially uh stay with the Pelicans because they could be in the lottery here because they won't make the playoffs, right? So it'll yeah. So it'll it if they if they just miss the playoffs and they don't uh, get picked into the top three through the lottery, then the Kings would get the pick right. still. Um, but yeah, if they but if they don't miss the playoffs and they get in the top three. Um, it was basically just an awkward way of saying that I was trying to fish out that you were saying they're not <laughs> yeah. going to make the playoffs. Oh yes, so that is um, <laughs> that is uh, I I I would there I think two and a half or three games out of the play uh, eighth seed in the West. Mm-hmm. There's not that many games left. Um, Five thirty eight's projection had them I think thirteen percent or fourteen percent of the time they made the playoffs, and I think that doesn't account for Boogie being on the team yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost certainly doesn't account for that. Um, actually, I don't know. Remains to be seen. However, I I think that uh, making up a couple games is a lot, and they will have an adjustment period of just like figuring out how to fit together. Um, there are some questions about the redundancy between the two, and they both both Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins. Uh, they they have had the ball a lot, so just there's things need to be figured out, and the Pelicans supporting cast is so bad that um. I think it's if they were if they were tied for the eighth seed right now, I might pick them. But I think the three games or two and a half games is going to be hard to make up. I think you're wrong. Check oh, out this disagreement. Shoot, I think you're totally wrong. Uh, the you're reasons... gonna be all mean about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think two and a half games is that much. How many games do we have left? Like twenty something? Yeah, that's easy to make up. You just get on a roll here. It's Mardi Gras time. Boogie Cousins Gras. hasn't been at Mardi Gras since he was 18 years old. He's going to be in such a good mood. Maybe that... they can take the visiting teams out to the parades, you know, as a little. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I think James Harden would really like to watch the Muses parade. I think so too. Yeah. And uh, he would miss the game because they're playing on Thursday night. Uh, anyway, I think that DeMarcus Cousins is going to be in a good mood and not get any more technical fouls, which is good because every other technical foul he gets from now on he'll get a one game suspension uh which is kind of rough when you only have 20 or you know on the order of that games to make up two and a half games other so the other really hard thing for me in arguing that they will make the eight seed uh is that the nuggets are i think are in the slot right now uh and they do have Jokic. Jokic. oh good. man he's so good that dude so 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 good at basketball possibly like underrated overrated right now but you know uh a big fan huge fan of him but i think something will fall apart they just traded for a plumley right uh yeah and when you trade it for a plumley you know that's never a good thing never a good thing to trade for a plumley never yeah so yeah just by the nature of them trading for a plumley i think that the uh pelicans got this they got this eight seed wrapped up they're totally going to make it. How's that for an informed opinion? <laughs> yes. Um, so we talked about the impact for the Pelicans. Let's talk about it uh, from the perspective of the Kings. Uh, we'll just give a half-court and mid-range shout-out to Kings fans. We know you must be feeling a lot right now. 
yeah. don't know if we have any Kings fans as listeners. We're here for you. I heard John John Anderson renounced his Kings fanship due to he, this. Is he a Kings fan? He yeah, was? I mean, I think they lived out in California for oh, a while. I don't know. So, okay. uh, um, we're sorry for you. It seems like th- that Bogey Cousins really loved Sacramento. I saw a, a bunch of interviews with him and, and kind of his farewell speeches where he had done a lot out in Sacramento and done a lot of basketball camps and stuff for the community and yeah really love the city so yeah and that's what's actually that's what's like boogie is kind of an enigma he's amazing at basketball um reportedly he is very involved and has done a lot in this community um he also is known in various reports from all types of credible sources on the record um so that he is just incredibly he's in, he's just incredibly a jerk to his teammates um and he's in the games he gets upset he curses at the refs he gets technical fouls all the time to where he gets suspended um apparently recently apparently something that might have upset the kings and triggered them to make this trade is that he was yelling profanities to the crowd in golden state um oh yeah i saw that video yeah that wasn't during the game though that was after the game it was pretty awesome i mean i've yeah he there was like it was something about like in the locker i don't know what the context was but there was like a it it was a golden state fan and he's like walking past like a group of fans and he sees someone in a golden state jersey and says f golden state which i i can agree with the sentiment sometimes (laughs) not that you should you know as a player you probably shouldn't just like yell that at fans that are you know wherever they are but yeah yeah um time and a place time and a place as yeah, they say for sure yeah so and there were mul- multiple accounts of him quote-unquote ruining players apparently he just saw castillo as someone we've talked about before but apparently he just made his life miserable and like challenged him to fights and um for full context sauce castillo is a nickname for nick stauskas uh, yes. a player who played for the kings uh and was a high draft pick of theirs and with who the owner at least had high hopes for shoots like steph tall like clay big like clay big like clay oh, yeah the big is gosh tall is like just big just sounds so much funnier yeah, yeah. it's important it's okay messed it up. um on that note yeah i think this just uh it it uh continues to show the kings are just in a really they're just a really dysfunctional organization um it seems like maybe even though the trade, so basically when you trade a superstar, as as a lot of people would call Boogie Cousins, you'd expect to get probably twice the return of what the Kings got now. And so part of that is because of these kind of character issues that we touched on a little bit. Um, I think that's a lot of it. Um, but also character issues. The guy they traded for was the one who tapped him in the you know old nutsack. Yeah. Yeah, that's Buddy not Heald, a good thing. Yeah, the recent game between the Pelicans and the Kings, Buddy Heald was ejected for uh, uh, making contact with the groin area of Boogie Cousins uh, on a s- attempted screen. Which we don't endorse. I think if there's anything that we're about, it's about not hitting each other yeah, in don't, nuts yeah, on don't purpose. Hit. Just don't. Try in to a avoid that. Game. Try to avoid that. In, a, yeah. in general, try to avoid that. Yeah. If, yeah, that's that's our motto here at half court and mid range. Try yeah. to avoid intentionally hitting each other in the nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um we we see you, Draymond. Yeah. So so character issues on the court, sort of this this attitude that he had. Because he also has this sort of like 
he he kind of like complains to the refs a little bit when he thinks he's getting fouled because he probably does sort of get he, fouled a lot. Yeah, I but mean, he already has eighteen technicals. Yeah, he already got suspended for having too many technicals, and he's been known to like quit on games and not run back on defense because he's upset and it like material impacts his like team. You know, stops them from winning. Right. Um, he's a very emotional player. Yes. And, and, a, and a, kind of in opposition to Anthony Davis, who is yeah. like this enigma of sorts in my mind, at yeah. least. And I think the standard, like most of the superstars now, are pretty stoic. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you're LeBron. He's kind of a little bit of a yeah diva of sorts. So I think they complain, but like, um, they don't get totally like. To totally tilted where they're just like on tilt and just like stopping playing because yes. of that yeah yeah and like a lot of them don't run back on defense and complain to the ref instead of like and jog back instead of getting back and getting their man but i think there's a level where like the behavior becomes more childlike that most of them don't do where they're just like their body language they're like pouting and like they're like looked making their teammates feel awful about you know something and just like visibly embarrassing them like that doesn't happen as much um so yeah so there's yeah a little bit of that concern i guess with him yeah but i think that's what it, i think the anthony davis the the combination there and the fact that it's not all on his shoulders and he probably you know he recognizes anthony davis as like a supreme talent and whatnot uh they're at least like in his mind, they're probably peers. Uh, in most people's mind, Anthony Davis is probably better. Yes. But uh, <laughs> yes. there's at least that sort of like moderating effect where it's not like just like all this is on his shoulders and whatnot. And, you know, you saw, well, he'd actually, in the Olympics, he also got kind of like pouty and stuff. But <laughs> yeah. And it's entirely possible, I'm trying to think back quickly, but it's entirely possible that Anthony Davis is certainly the best player that Boogie has ever played with. It's possible that Drew Holiday is going to be the second best player that Boogie's ever played with. Mm. Um and so it is, you know, possible that that will, you know, change change the way he thinks about it, you know. And you don't think Sas Castillo is better than Drew Holiday? <laughs> Salsa Castillo is not. Um so um, Salsa Castillo. Did you just call him Salsa Salsa Castillo? I don't think so. Well, <laughs> I try to. Um we're, we're getting more and more translated here. Yes. So anyhow, um, the, so the Kings get the Kings, the Kings got uh, got whooped in this trade. Maybe that was the best they could get, um, but they could have just been way more strategic about you know predicting this, trading him like last summer when they probably could have gotten more, um, or the summer before or last trade deadline or something, um, and they could have just handled it much more better publicly and not told boogie and his agent that day that they weren't going to trade him because right. that will like inevitably um that's a, this boogie's agent is a high-powered agent who represents a lot of players that probably is going to stick with the kings uh, who people already think are a mess and they right. are um not a good look yeah not and a what, good look for what compounds part of the reason the kings did this is because they don't they only get to keep their draft pick if it's in the top 10 this year their own pick and so they want to get bad fast getting rid of boogie helps them. they're on the fringe of losing that pick i think they're the 11th worst team right now um so getting rid of boogie will help them be bad what makes this even worse for them is 
if they get in the top, basically, if they have a worse pick or a better pick than the Sixers, and the Sixers can exchange picks uh, with them based on a trade that the Sixers did a couple years ago, uh, that's probably confusing to understand. Look, you're so excited about this. You're just going, you're just going really steamrolling through this. But you can tell Ray is so excited about this because it's good for the Sixers. It's great basically. for the Sixers. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, if the Kings are, um, if the Kings are, let's say, the fourth worst team, which is possible at the end of the season, um, that means that they have the way that the draft lottery works is. The picks, the top three picks, um, are determined via a lottery. Uh, they'll pick balls out of a cage. Um, that's true. <laughs> in they the, yeah, in the sense, in the good sense of it, not the sense, the sense we condone versus the yes, yes. sense we are. Very we condone against. the NBA draft lottery. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. Um, other than yeah, other than the part where we want to abolish the draft. Yes. Um, um, but so they would have the fourth best odds of getting the top pick and decent odds of getting the second and third pick. Um, if they did that, and let's say the Sixers finish seventh and the Sixers get the seventh draft pick and how the are the Kings, Sixers going to finish seventh? If, if Joel Embiid comes back, uh, and plays like another 20 games, I would not be shocked. I would actually put them in the six, seven range. That's where I would project them. There's a bunch of teams that are bad. That's the thing. Yeah, but they're going to start trying. They're going to. There's a bunch of teams that are going to be tanking. But so. but Joe, his knee. They're not going to bring him back. He's. I think. Well, yeah. Who knows? They're 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 kind of they're kind of acting crazy right now. Too, that's a story. We'll see. That's a story for another. Basically, the Kings. There's a swap there for this yeah. year. So if the Kings got the second pick and the Sixers got the seventh pick, the Sixers would get to just switch them, and so they get the second pick. Uh, which is a huge. There's there's a couple of very good players in this draft. Uh, obviously, you know, you get if you get the second pick, you get to pick the player you want, except for the first pick. Um, a lot better than the seventh pick. Um, it makes a, a huge difference in the draft. So, How much better than the seventh pick is the second pick? Uh, people have actually done studies on this, and it's it's uh it's substantially better. Um, it's like um more than five better. Yeah, I want to say that the I want to say that the projected like or the expected production as you go down in picks is uh you help me out with it. It's uh logarithmic. Logarithmic. That's yeah, logarithmic. parabolic, hyperbolic. I think it's probably logarithmic going down. Um elliptical with the uh the what is it called? Oh my gosh, why can't conical I? Uh, what's the axis? What's when a y axis? Uh, well, the <laughs> logarithmic axis. Yeah, but when you say like so that so I'm saying the axis is zero, it all converges to zero. There's a name for that. Um, in a hyperbolic, uh, graph, there's a name for the axes that are x. Um, I that it converges to. This is you've taken more math than this me. is probably the worst part of this, any podcast we recorded uh anyhow i think it's probably logarithmic down uh converging along the x-axis so um, two is a lot better than seven two is a lot better than seven yeah yeah five better yeah so more than five better so it's big for the sixers it's a bummer for the kings because in the case that they get lucky they don't get that lucky um and then the sixers also in a previous trade where they fleeced the kings um got their 2019 pick unprotected uh, this this pick this trade and the state of the kings right now um 
means they will likely be bad for multiple years. They don't have very many good players. They don't have a lot of means to get better players. Um, and so this is great for the Sixers. So even though um, it took away a, a potential trade partner, the Sixers are trying to trade a big man, a center, uh, which is what Marcus Cousins is. Uh, and now the Pelicans will probably not be interested in the, the Sixers center, even though they were before. So. Right. Who are they trying to trade here? Who are the Sixers trying to trade? Jaleel Okafor. Um, um, there's been a lot of rumors here. They they There were some rumors with the Pelicans trying to acquire Jaleel Okafor. Pelicans probably would have sent Buddy Heald a first-round pick, Langston Galloway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the crazy yes. thing about this. You know, I was worried yeah. that that was going to be the haul to get, you know, a, a not very good big man. Yeah, it was weird. Some people reported that the Sixers had the same package, and they're like, no, it was a top-20 protected pick, which isn't, like we wouldn't they we wouldn't get it this year. Right. Um and we also would have had to take it on like a bad contract in Alexei Agenza. Right. Um that's probably what it was, even though it's not totally clear. Um but anyway, there are some teams that so we're trying to trade this player in particular because we have a lot of players that play his position. Uh, and also, I don't think he's good, and a bunch of people don't think that's he's why good. they're trying to trade him is because because Ray Sortnevitz doesn't <laughs> think he's good. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I'm a team consultant, uh, <laughs> pro bono, um, and I've I've given my expert opinion. Um, but yeah, he, he's 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 uh he doesn't rebound, he doesn't play defense well, and uh, that's those are very important things to do for a, a seven foot center. Uh, so. He's still young, so he can learn how to do those things. There's an argument for him becoming a lot better, but he's shown like so little progression over this last like year and a half that it's hard to it's hard to see that. Um, so I would like for them to trade him, uh, and I think it would make him happier because then he wouldn't have to fight for playing time with so many other players playing the same position, uh, and we potentially could get something back that could help us build our team. Uh, so the most recent rumors of the Pacers are interested in him. Um, the Bulls also are interested in, and people are saying that maybe the Celtics are still interested in him. Um, so yeah, I would be pretty excited if any of those things come to fruition. But who knows? Does it seem, does it, what, so do you think, what do you, what do you think? Will Jaleel Okafor play for the Sixers uh, after this Thursday, which is the trade deadline? If I had to say, I would say, he will not play for the Sixers after the trade deadline. He will be traded. But I think it's probably really close to 50-50. What do you think? I think he'll still be on the Sixers. I think that uh, they they just won't work out beforehand, and they will think, like, uh, might as well roll the dice, hold on to him, and see if like he continues to sort of get a little better and at least like maintain that level of like tradeability. Yeah. Uh, and then, then try once, you know. Uh, once it's the new league year and you can trade people again after yeah. the playoffs are over. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah. also, I think it's one of those things where it's all up in the air. Yeah. And I think if they have a trade where they're basically getting no value back, like a low second rounder, or like they have to take on a bunch of bad salary just to get a first round pick to where it's hardly, you know, just taking on that salary is worth the pick. Mm-hmm. Um then I would just hope that they keep him and figure it out. Like, there's no use in just getting rid of him for the sake of it. Right. Um, so even if it's... Which stinks for him, because they do have that, like, they do have a lot of big guys, and they're kind of low on him, but... Yeah. And I think that's what's weird about a lot of this. I think it's... 
it stinks to not play, I'm sure. And I, I think as a team, it's hard to manage that. And as a coach, I can't imagine how hard it would be to have like a 20 year old guy who's been thought of as like the best player in the country since he's been 15 uh, until basically his first year in the NBA or until really they started to figure out a lot of his flaws in college, but he was still really good in college um, to be like, yeah, you're not going to play. But I think you could also be like, you're not going to play because you're not good at rebounding because you're not good at defense. And we can sit down with you in the video and show you what you're doing wrong and talk to you about how you make that better. And if you start doing these things better, then you'll play. Um, that seems to be like something that they could do. That seems like a conversation they could have. And then hopefully like put a system in place to help him get better at those things. But um, I think he's just so obviously bad that uh, at those things that it's hard, it'd be hard for him to deny like, Oh yeah, I see. I just didn't box out that guy and he dunked on me. That's not good. That's not what I'm supposed to do. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Sometimes it's hard though. If you've been, you know, if you've been that guy since you were 15, cause he really was, you know, like really, really highly thought of in high school and like being recruited uh as a as a player it would be hard to to have that sort of uh humbling moment of being like oh now i actually have to like work hard at these things that are like not as glamorous and whatnot yeah uh yeah versus just people like oh my gosh but next best awesome player and you're just like i'm doing it i'm awesome yeah yeah and i think with all these things again he's like 20 or something or 19 like the, and i was i was listening to uh J.J. Uh, Reddick was on a podcast with Bill Simmons today that I was listening to. Ugh. Um, and for all the... Uh, he, he is great on podcasts. He's like, I don't know, just very I don't candid. know which one you're talking about, but disagree JJ. both of them. Um, <laughs> but he was talking about, uh, as an 18-year-old kid, um, he played for Duke and people hated him. Uh, he would talk about all of the, like, the opposing crowds chanting FJJ. And just like as an 18 year old, like not formed person, just like trying to deal with that. Yeah. And how he was just like <laughs> stew and, and he didn't, he was like, I don't even know who I was. And I'm trying to figure out like, cause there's thousands and thousands of people like chanting these mean things at me. Like how do I, all that to say, all of these young NBA players and college stars are just dealing with like incredible amounts of pressure that I couldn't even imagine. And like when I think about how dumb I was as a 18, 19, 20, and still 30 year old person, uh, that, yeah, it's just, they're, yeah, they're, they're just, to the extent that they keep their things together at all and, um, don't do totally foolish things that get them in trouble. Like it's a, it's a testament to them. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, they have a lot of money too. Yeah. Here's the, and so the, the, going back to the boogie thing a little bit, I did see they had this weird interview with him where he was at the airport and he was leaving Sacramento. It might have even been today. I don't know if you saw this one, but he was just talking about like they were asking him about like Sacramento and like his relationship with the community. And he was just talking and, and asking him about how he like kind of grew up there because he played one year at Kentucky. Uh, then he started playing for Sacramento. And so he was 19 when he moved to Sacramento. And they were like, you were 19 when you were here. And now you're 26 think he's 26 now and it's just like oh even 26 is really young in my mind mm, and like yeah. he came there when he was 19 and now like you know he even having this reputation of being like immature on the court like he was like 
holding basketball camps and like doing stuff that's like reasonable like he was being like sort of a reasonable human being off the court yeah and it's just like my years from 19 to 26 like i don't know i don't know if they can hold up to that and 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 whatnot but then you sort of think and you're like well even once you get up to being like the age of these gms and these owners like nobody has it figured out right yeah like yeah. these guys are still kind of dummies yeah I think or that's... huge dummies in in a lot of cases yes absolutely um absolutely yeah it's, there's so many times where i because I, I think i just you just assume that when a player enters the league that they're in this mature stage of life and then when they're around for a while you know you think about boogie like i don't think about him as a 26 year old i think about as like someone older and like definitely should be more mature than me right and then you realize like oh they're 26 like that's yeah he's like younger than my little brother yeah um and and we're older than that but i and you know we're still relatively young i hope and i still think of like you know yeah we have we're our not good, yeah and we we're have not our good filmed. times but we haven't yeah we're not filmed when we do our work and our work isn't like physical and aggressive in nature you know like where there's just speak all... for yourself <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm a computer programmer in case anybody didn't know <laughs> um really so, hitting those keys hard <laughs> so yeah speaking of hitting keys hard uh Kyrie Irving recently provoked a lot of people to hit a lot of computer keys hard because he suggested that uh, the earth that he believes the earth is flat. Um, this made waves over the NBA social media landscape and uh, leads me to ask the question to you, Court, what are some of your favorite flat earth theories or justifications? Okay, so uh, when I found out about this, well, I was looking up the boogie thing, and people like kept posting stuff like uh, the the Nick Stauskas thing, the shoots like Steph, big like Clay. Uh, then then they would combine it with like something about Kyrie Irving thinking the the Earth is flat, and I was like, well, clearly there's something there if people keep like putting this there. So then I looked it up, and yes, apparently Kyrie Irving believes that the earth is flat and so i had to look up what are these justifications for flat earth i found this pdf online which seemed just about as good as any sort of source for this sort of uh <laughs> what seemed at first like i think one of an those, angel like, fire website might be better yeah well that's the thing no it's like slightly there's a lot of videos there's a lot of youtube videos there's like some slightly more legit than angel fire websites about the earth being flat uh it seems like there's a little bit of a movement behind Mm. it enough to at least potentially convince this nba player uh who also hit the game-winning shot in game seven of the nba finals theory and went to duke university not that that's the greatest university or anything like that but uh some people think it is he to be fair for a year for a year and, and he didn't really play likely, that many games and so it probably yeah. didn't even feel like going to classes after he was yes. injured and didn't yeah. have to go to games uh and class you know he probably just didn't do anything and probably trained somewhere to get ready for the draft yeah uh after that um anyway uh i found this pdf that was 200 best justifications for <laughs> <laughs> for the earth being flat and my favorite um there were a lot of them that were just kind of like 
gravity all those all these round well, they have a certain uh pejorative for people who believe that the earth is round <laughs> oh, that's awesome round <laughs> it's like round globers or something like that like and so they're like all these round globers spherical like, think, truthers yeah exactly like <laughs> think like if it if this was really they always say like if it's spinning around eastward at this amount like then how come there's no wind like how come the wind isn't like all really really bad and then they're like well, if gravity is pulling the atmosphere down all the time, then how come birds and bugs can just jump off the ground and start flying? Uh, they really have like a flawed understanding of gravity, physics, perspective. Like there's aerodynamics. A lot of, like, yeah, aerodynamics. There's a lot of like pictures of the horizon and then curved pictures of the horizon. And then, uh, oh, so so my favorite ones were the ones due to, uh, having to do with with airline travel and flights. Uh, and so one of them was if the earth was really curved, how come on when you're flying a plane, you don't have to continually adjust the plane downward so that you don't fly off into space? <laughs> oh, that's, <awesome. laughs> that's really great. That's, that's really probably good. the best one. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, really good. How, how come they can't, they don't just have to like push the plane downward so it doesn't fly off into space? Like, <laughs> what do you even say to somebody who has that? Um, I think that yeah, yeah. I guess they do, right? I mean, they do. No, gravity is always pulling the plane down. Gravity right? is always pulling the plane down. Well, you're always like adjusting your tilt up or down. Uh, it's you're hard. you're keeping your tilt. I guess they go on autopilot and it keeps like the right tilt. So there's the the force of gravity. There's the force that the air is like pushing underneath your wings, and then the I imagine it controls that you stay at the right altitude and balances those like competing forces. We might need to have a pilot on this podcast. So yeah. if anyone knows a pilot that we could call <laughs> during this podcast, <laughs> let us know. Uh, <laughs> and we'll have an explanation of why you don't have to adjust the plane downwards while you're flying. Uh, yeah. The other one was sort of, uh, so when you're flying in a plane, most people know this, like the direct route, when it's a curve, it's like not just straight across, you like go with the curve of the earth. So like a lot of these like flights to Europe, you end up like sort of going over the Arctic a little bit. Uh, and so all these flat earth people were like, what's the deal when you fly from Johannesburg to Perth direct, you don't go over Antarctica. Instead, you always have to stop over in Dubai, uh, which just you can look on kayak and there's flights that are direct from johannesburg to perth that don't stop in dubai and then you can look up on like flight maps and they like they don't go exactly over antarctica but they go over the antarctic circle a little bit and you're just kind of like whoa what <laughs> yes. um because there's the, there's actually this really consistent like model of this flat earth theory which is like that the arctic is in the middle and the like there's a big wall around and that's where the South pole is. And that's like around the okay. circle. Uh, and they also take the United nations logo as proof of that. Okay. Um, okay. Oof. So that makes sense. it's a really, yeah, people are strange. If we could get a cartographer on here too, I think that would be good. Someone, I think the yeah. idea of like the choices you have to make when you, uh, press a spherical map onto flat and how yeah. you represent those are really interesting like the to where like greenland map projections yeah and then whatever it makes greenland look like you know what i mean or alaska or whatever yeah um 
the projection I use makes Greenland look like uh, Kyrie Irving's face. So <laughs> maybe that's uh, maybe that was his beef with all this. Did this PDF have any nice diagrams? What I would and maybe I have a specific. I'm interested to know. Um, so flat earthers certainly think the flat the Earth is is at least um, three dimensions, right? Yeah, it's like okay. a disc they believe of in sort. three dimensions. Yeah, okay. I think so. So. I'm interested to know what flat earthers think about like the corners. Do you know what I mean? Like, is it, it is just like, and actually is the shape of, what is the shape? In the mainstream, the shape is a disc. It's a disc of sorts. The the mainstream of flat earthers. (laughs) I think there are sort of like the subsect that might believe in sort of a square or a, a, yeah, more of a tile there. Okay. Um, so it would be it would be a cylinder then. Yeah, it would be sort of a cylinder mainstream. with some amount of depth because obviously you're digging down to find like, you know, fossils and stuff that prove yeah. like evolutionary like record and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because they definitely believe in all that. Yeah. So I just <laughs> I mainly just want to know what they think about the corners. You know, like how the edges. The edges, yeah. Yeah. They um, think there's a big like it's like a big wall at the edge. And it like a like a physical like a wall of ice, I think. Okay. Okay. Like you go and like every time, because nobody really goes down to Antarctica except for like NASA. They have a big beef with NASA. NASA is just like the ones perpetuating this sure. like uh, conspiracy yeah. theory yeah. of like around Earth. we went Earth. to the moon. Yeah. Or that like we have like the spaceship up here and it's showing the curvature of the Earth. Like yeah. all photoshopped in their mind. Uh, and so like, you know, research scientists are the only people research also known as liars. Research scientists are the only ones who go down to the South pole. So clearly like nobody, no like regular person can go down and like walk into Antarctica and see that there's this wall. Yeah. Yeah. They also Um, believe that the sun and the moon are the same size and are very close to this disc. Uh, Okay. And so you're not you're no you're not like on this disc that's like going around the sun anymore. It's sort of more of this uh, not heliocentric, the one that means earth centric, like uh, uh, terra centric. Yeah, know, I'm using the wrong language there. I think that's Greek, and I need to be using Latin. Anyway, they think the sun and the moon are these two little objects up above, and they're they're the same size and they're very close. Interesting. Um, that seems. I, I guess most of the time, actually, so most of the time, the moon appears to us much bigger than the sun, right? Uh, I think that's right. It depends. It definitely depends, but I think, yeah, I guess it could. I mean, I don't really stare into the sun all that often. Yeah, it's hard to do that. So, yeah. Um, Turns out they're right. Andrew Morissette, man. <laughs> he was actually pretty upset when we asked him to talk about uh, be on this podcast yeah do you know Earth. huh yeah i wonder if huh i wonder if he has some alternative perspective I, yeah he might be a little do yeah. you think he's with the mainstream side or the uh this this square side i think he thinks it's a square yeah <laughs> i think he thinks you know kind of like the little caesar's style <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's probably more than anybody ever wanted to hear on flat Earth. <laughs> yeah um, especially from non-experts such as ourselves yeah. uh i recommend you know look on the pdf we'll uh we'll be reading out one of the justifications per podcast from now on 
Yeah. Thanks to Ky- until Kyrie Irving in list. If you're listening, Kyrie, until you say that you believe the Earth is round, we are gonna read a science fact. Not about. We're gonna read the fact. real ones. We're gonna read. We're gonna read real facts about science. Uh, the real round Earth stuff. We're about facts here. Yeah. Uh, until you recant on that belief. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like Galileo, but the opposite. Yeah, and yet it. What is what did Galileo say? <laughs> what was? And yet it spins, and yet, uh, something about the sun. Yeah, there should be a NBA basketball player with the nickname Galileo. Yeah, like Gallo is close. Yeah, but Galileo, not so much. Yeah. All um, right, we got a couple more things to talk about, or yeah, we should we could probably be quick. But uh, the other big news that broke today, Tuesday. February 21st uh, is that Magic Johnson uh, is going to be the president of basketball operations for the Lakers. Uh, this effectively means he's making, he's in charge of making all decisions that impact the, the players on the roster. Um, and uh, this sent some shockwaves through the NBA community. Um, former players, particularly great players, don't necessarily have a great track record of running teams. He's also expressed... Um, Isaiah Thomas notwithstanding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, he's expressed uh, lots of views on Twitter. Many of them appear to be uh, not good ones in terms of effectively saying who and who's good at basketball and who's not. I don't know right. if you have any of those that um that are worth sharing, Court. I mean he said that he would take Brandon Knight as the number one overall pick. He did. Uh um, he's he didn't say anything about the earth being flat, that's for sure. So yeah. that's a plus in he's his dodged book. That one. Uh said something the one about Jimmer Fredette was really funny. Yeah. Said something about like Jimmer Fredette is the real deal, but there was a hashtag like hashtag, hashtag real men. No, hashtag men care. Hashtag men care, which yeah. I think was probably like, you know, probably maybe a legitimate sort of hashtag to be doing at the time, but contextually yeah, contextually to put it with that that uh was weird. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Yeah, who knows? I probably shouldn't speculate on what that hashtag meant at the time. But um but yeah, so he's gonna be taking over team. He's also suggested that he was one of his strategies was gonna be ask other like retired players what they thought. Um, which generally speaking, crowdsourcing is good. Um, but uh if you're not like people who scout players, uh, they do so like for a living. Um, and people who analyze like players that might be good do so for a living and people who um, know the details of the collective bargain agreement, they invest like their lives kind of understanding those things. And so if they ask a veteran player who's not necessarily investing their time in doing those things like, Hey, what do you think about Lonzo ball or Marco Fultz? Uh, two of the draft prospects coming up. Uh, they might, they just might have watched a couple games on TV and not have, you know, be experts on on player evaluation right. in, in the current NBA context. Right. Um, so for me, it's a little bit of glass houses and stones here, as far as uh, having watched a couple of games on TV. Sounds like a little bit beyond my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But um. Yes. 
So yeah, magic. And I think I, I hope I hope in light of our, uh, we don't know that much about basketball or really that many things, and uh, I hope that we reflect that with um some kind of tempered opinions. You know, mm-hmm. I hope I hope we're not a, I hope we're not too convicted in in saying things. Like I I really don't think Jaleel Okafor is that good at basketball, but I try to like speak with some uncertainty around that. Like he could become a good player. That is possible. And I'm not the type of person who could look at the way he's playing now and say, Oh, in two years he could fix this issue. And it's also, you also try to find the people that you think that would know that and then seek out what they think about it versus he's just kind of like, well, I'm a former player and like, I like these other former players. Let's see what they think about this rather than being like, Hmm, who's good at like, deciding who is good at basketball yeah let's find their opinion yeah and that is like i guess that's kind of what we all do hopefully i mean i think it's a good practice a lot of people do is they take information from various sources they respect and then use that to make a conclusion and when there's a consensus opinion among many people who you respect then it you can feel more confident in thinking (laughs) (laughs) yes maybe they're also wrong Uh, but yeah uh uh, I, for talking? one, uh, call my own shots largely based on an accumulation of data, and everyone knows it. Yes, yes. If anyone uh, knows that source, I apologize for bringing that up now. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, so he's going to run the Lakers, and um, so he basically got... Uh, m- there was a lot of joking about what he was going to do, Um the Lakers haven't been run very well in general, so it's not like, um, yeah, it's not like they were doing great anyway. Um, and who knows? Maybe he comes in and he, um, you know, he could, some people who are really good at running businesses just know how to identify people who are good at doing various things and they empower them uh, and they put them in position to succeed and those people who are experts in those things, they, they do then succeed. Maybe he will do that. Um, but I think if he ends up just like calling a lot of shots on gut instinct and like, you know, feelings he has about like players being winners or these kind of like various like character subjective uh, things, I think it's likely to hurt the Lakers and maybe help the Sixers because the Sixers also have (laughs) the Lakers draft pick this year. If it's not in the top three Uh, and then if it is in the top three, they get it next year. Um, and because Magic Johnson has expressed some interest in Jaleel Okafor, who we are trying to trade, I'm excited about the prospect of him seeking a trade for Jaleel Okafor at this very moment. And maybe he is doing that. And that would make me happy. That would make me happy as well, Ray. Good. Uh, I think we might be we might be on the emergency time here on this emergency pod. Uh you want to you have any closing thoughts for emergency do we how did we feel about it being an emergency and doing a pod do we do we like that yeah i think it um yeah i think uh i think people rely on us court you know they rely on us for um not super well informed opinions on basketball and um high production value High production value. <laughs> Props to court for that. 
Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. With podcasts, podcasts is really like, I think seventy five percent of the value in podcasts is just having a voice in the background because you don't want it to be quiet, mm. you know. And um, sometimes in emergency situations like this, we can be those voices in those times. And then maybe if twenty five percent. That twenty five percent thing that you're interested in podcasts is to hear an interesting thing or two. Maybe we do that. I was just thinking about like other seventy five percent of the value of something being have a voice in the background. It's like having a child. Seventy five percent of the value is to have a voice in the background, so yeah. it doesn't feel quiet. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with seventy uh, five desires for companionship. Seventy five percent of the value of having a friend is to have a voice in the background. <laughs> Yeah. So it doesn't feel too quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seventy five percent of the point of having a job is to have a voice in the background <laughs> telling you to do work so it doesn't feel too quiet. Uh yeah. I I I do agree with that. It is nice to listen to a podcast when you're like doing the dishes or doing your laundry, folding your laundry, uh, where you kind of have something repetitive that you can tune out on one side and sort of uh listen to on the other one so hopefully we've been that for you as a podcast yeah um we thank all our listeners that always give us feedback we really oh, like that and pachamama's pantry for sponsoring us yeah um, we thank pachamama's pantry for sponsoring us and keeping us healthy uh when we fall ill they have some nice elderberry syrup that's good for boosting your immune system yeah uh, if you need to throw a papaya into a trade that you're trying to finalize this week, Pachamama's Pantry is your go-to source. Find, look look for them at Holly Grove Market. Uh, yeah. Holly, yeah, that's what it's called, right? Yeah, Holly Grove. Yeah, Holly Grove. Look for them at Holly Grove. Uh, well, thanks for joining me for this emergency pod, Ray. Um, we'll be taking a little bit of a Mardi Gras break here for recording schedule. Uh because you'll be gone on a little another hike, not as big a hike as last time, but a little hike, a little bit of a hike, uh, and you'll be out of communication for that time, and uh, you'll know, be catching some parades and whatnot. So we hope to uh, do another one at the other side of the trade deadline and keep you all up to date. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Happy trade deadline week. Escort Ray. <laughs>